Hello and welcome to GC Stories, the podcast where we speak to security services professionals with an extraordinary tale to tell. My name is John Watkins, the editor of Global Custodian, and in this series we've got custody, prime brokerage, all sorts of banking executives who have stories to tell. From former undercover police officers to ex-professional athletes, these truly are fascinating stories, and those who are telling them also have some amazing wisdom to impart. Particularly in times like this, I think it never hurts to listen to something inspirational and uplifting. I hope as many people listen to this while running, cooking, or in their downtime as they do during their working day. Now, before we get started, I'd just like to thank our partners in this project, SmartStream, the provider of transaction processing solutions and services to the financial community. They have been incredibly supportive of this series, just as they have with their own clients through this difficult period with the global pandemic. You know, their own story is one of stepping up when they needed to, reacting fast, being reliable, making sure their customers were prioritized during this period. So a big well done to SmartStream for informing and supporting the industry during this time, and of course, for their support of this series too. On today's episode, a real inspirational story from the current head of global client coverage at RBC, who also happens to be a former professional rugby player. He was England captain. He was a club legend at Worcester. A real family man, incredibly humble, but inspiring in terms of what he learned from being a professional athlete. Today he takes us on his journey, both the physical and mental aspects of it. He discusses the highs, the lows, the injuries, the trophies. It is so genuine and honest. And I really appreciate he hasn't actually discussed his career in this much detail since retiring and moving into finance. So to share his story with us today is a really special moment. Today we have a conversation with Pat Sanderson. Pat Sanderson, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, Pat. Nice welcome relief, isn't it? From, uh, I guess, the, uh, the, the never-ending conference calls that we're on at the moment. <laughs> well, it still kind of counts as a conference call, I suppose. No, it? it's true, actually. It kind of does, but at least, it, at least it's, uh, <laughs> it's not directly about settlement rates anymore, is it? No, I mean, look, if you want to, we can make it about that, but I can't no, promise. No, 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 absolutely fine. <laughs> oh, well, look, Pat, look, great to talk to you today. You're, you're actually the first person I've spoken to in this series that's got a Wikipedia page, but I was always told never to use Wikipedia as a reference because anyone can edit it. So is everything on there true? So I haven't checked it lately. Um, I don't check it very often, but I do have a group of friends who take great delight in editing my Wikipedia page with facts that are not true and not particularly... Uh, um, I guess to my advantage would be the best. I've been called all sorts on there. I've got a very spurious background. But what's quite funny is that, you know, if I ever I do kind of like a public speaking event or anything like that, it's the first place that people check Yeah. Um, to get kind of just a, a sound bite on, on what you've done in the past. And um, so, so normally I find out if my mates have been on there changing it when I'm being introduced at a rugby dinner or something along those lines. So <laughs> I probably should check it more often. Yeah, so six foot ten, you know, four hundred pounds. Shoots laser beams from his eyes. Where's a cape? Yeah, no, no, if only it, it tends not to be. It tends <laughs> to be far worse than that. I probably can't even mention most of what this is. <laughs> well, I imagine if people are using it as a reference, I imagine you've had some some interesting uh, pronunciations of Worcester from from some colleagues at times. No, true enough. But things like you know, I've had everything from kind of like you know, uh, arguably the luckiest person ever to get a cap ring and all sorts of things which which kind of go on there, which get 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 repeated verbatim by whomever it is that's introducing <laughs> the rugby dinner. It's funny. My mate think it's hilarious. Oh, well, after hearing this, they're going to be even more tempted to go and tap <laughs> well, over the 
Awesome there, but but look, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And um, as we explained at the top of the, the episode, you know, uh, you've had this uh, distinguished professional rugby career for both club and country, um, and and now moving into financial services to to another uh, chapter of your journey, I guess. And um, you know, is it has it been something you've been keen to highlight, or have you tried to kind of separate the two worlds as as you moved into this this next stage? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I guess you know when I finally decided to, to hang up my boots and it wasn't optional it was through injury really otherwise i guess gonna still be trying to do it now um um i guess you've got a choice to make around um whether you stay in the industry that you know and leverage the skills that you've got or uh quite uniquely i suppose you've got what you've got one opportunity in life to start again and do something completely different and when I made that decision to start again and do something completely different i made the decision to leave rugby behind fully um you know, and uh, I guess I, I wasn't naive enough to 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 to, to think that um, that there weren't some advantages to having a degree of profile from rugby and having done what I've done, and some of the advantages that that perhaps um, gave me moving into another industry. But at the same time, I was I was absolutely determined that um, I would um, I, I guess try and repeat um, I guess the feeling of being being, being good at something rather than being known for doing something would, would be the best description. I, I, you know, in rugby, I was in control. I had knowledge and understanding. I knew what I was trying to do. Um, and I guess you, you picked, selected, paid on your merits because you're content-rich. And, and, and I think the decision I made when I, when I decided to move into banking was that I wanted to repeat that and that I, I was determined not to do whatever next, next, you know, came next in life. Um, off the back of a reputation that was, um, and, and, and so really, I guess what am I now? Eight, nine years into it, I, you know, I very rarely dwell on what was, if I'm honest with you, uh, and this is a rare occasion when, when I perhaps I'm forced to. Yeah, and, and yeah, absolutely, I'm going to force you to over the next, uh, you know, fifty minutes or so. But um, you know, is is that the thing is, you know, leaving one chapter behind and going to another is is one thing. But because you were, and yeah, you know, I, I can say this, <laughs> you were so successful in what you did. I mean, it, it must have been hard to step away, especially as, like you say, it was it was forced through through injury. And yeah, and I imagine in those early days, people wanted to to bring it up all, all the time and, and talk to you about it. So, what was that like? Oh, yeah, yes, no. I mean. That is, I won't lie, I guess the transition from playing professional sport for as long a period of time as I did as well, I mean, I was, I would have to say that there was a degree of institute, I was to a degree institutionalized because you can't not be, right? You, you kind of live and breathe uh, a routine within sport that you've got to adhere to in order to be successful. So um, to kind of step out of that and start again, um, I guess requires... Well, it could quite a number of things, but you, you, you first and foremost, you, you, you've got to be humble. You've got to recognise that actually you are starting again, and that you, you you're not at the top of your game, and that you've got to dedicate your, your time, effort, and your attention to um, you know to fill in those gaps. Uh, I, I guess in the first instance, and um, and also maintaining an open mind to, to, to learning, because you know the older you get in life, the harder that really is. Um, I think I learned some lessons kind of late on in my rugby career, uh, perhaps too late, um, around, you know, the benefit of always learning and the benefit of maintaining an open mindset and the benefit of understanding how to learn uh, and the importance of that. That um, when I did decide to make the move 
into a completely different industry. Um, they, they really were the values and the qualities that, that, that helped me make my way in a new world. And, um, you know, very late on, I, I guess in the rugby, I, I recognized that in order to compete with these young kids coming through, you know, my ability to make myself stronger, um, by working harder in a gym and, you know, you know, this wasn't there anymore. You know, I was getting older. My body wasn't responding like it used to. And so I had, I had to be smart. I had to find a better way. I had to make myself technically better in every, in every way. And that meant I had to, to learn. I had to continue to learn and to, 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 to refine skills. And, and that's probably why I played rugby for so long at the level I played it at, because I think I adapted and changed and continued to learn. Uh, and that in itself, that journey was an incredibly liberating, um, I guess, journey because when it came to making a decision of what I'm going to do next, I think I'd, what I understood was that if you apply, um, I guess, the right values, maintain an open mindset and you're willing to, to, to learn and, you're, and, you, and you find the right learning environment, that actually, you can pretty much do whatever you want, but it's going to take time. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and, and, and that's crucial. It takes time. You can't, you can't go to bed one night, wake up the next and, and, and have learned everything you need to learn. You've got to dedicate yourself to it and the acquisition of skill, whether that be in banking and finance or whether that be in rugby or, or music or, or, or maths or chemistry or whatever it might be. The, the, the same kind of rules apply. And that is, you know, if you find the right learning environment, you dedicate yourself to it for long enough. Um, you maintain an open mindset that you're willing and you want to learn, uh, then, then, then ultimately you will be able to do it. And I think that, that really broke down a lot of the barriers and fear that perhaps, um, you know, would have been there if I was a younger man. Um, and, and I, and I really looked forward to the opportunity. You know, on reflection, there's no question it was, um, it was a brave decision because it was, it's arguably one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, starting a game and, I guess, like you say, the, the, the humility and the hard work and the effort that, that, that kind of had to, had to go into it. Um, you know, I think if I look back at, at all of that as a collective, you know, I, you know, you question whether you would have put yourself through it again, but I have no regrets now. But I, I guess it's, it's an easy thing to say when, when you look at, you know, the mind's got a, a wonderful way of, um, of concentrating on the positives and forgetting the negatives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I mean, it is, it is a big decision and a, I guess a, a brave one as well to, to establish yourself over so long in one area and then almost, yeah, okay, I'm going to take the lessons from that experience, but I'm going to, I'm going to move away from them and then, like you say, start totally again. But, but now, how do you look back on the, the, the rugby career? I mean, like you said, if, if you retired from injury, there must have been some, some lows in there, but you know, you're captain England. It's a bit of a spoiler alert for the rest of the episode, but uh, yeah. So there were some amazing highs. Yeah, how does it how does it all come together in your mind now when you look back on it? Do you know what? I, I very rarely do look back on it. I mean, I guess in my quieter moments, you, you look back on some of the highs, and and they're tremendous, and they're, and they're, and they're, and they're fantastic memories. I'm a massive believer in memories. You know, it's kind of like it, you know, it, I guess you can you can get rewards and you can get material things in life, but but, but the one thing that kind of will always stay with you is the memory. Mm. Uh, and I've got some fantastic memories from sport um, and always look back very fondly on, on the highs, as you point out. But if I'm honest, it's probably the lows that have shaped me and made me the person I am. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's in the darker moments. And, you know, people look at professional sport and they, from the outside, and they, and I guess they just see um, the picture that the sports person or the sport wants to show the world. 
they, they don't see the reality. And the reality is, it's, it's, it's a tremendous roller coaster of emotions. You know, um, it, it's incredibly stressful. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're inspected by hundreds, thousands, you know, sometimes millions of people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you fail, you fail tremendously publicly. Um, there's a tremendous physical stress and strain that goes with particularly playing, playing rugby, and the body doesn't really differentiate between physical and emotional stress. Um, you know, so, so, so when you do experience lows, they are incredibly low. Similarly, you know, when you get the opportunity to do some of the, 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 the aspects of sport that people obviously admire and, and want to be part of, like running out of Twickenham, captaining your country, you know, winning cups. Um, you, you, you know, I, I guess, you know, the, the mixture of all of those things, the lows and the highs, you know, when I look back on it and, and I look at now, where my life has gone and, um, and how I've been shaped as an individual. I have a huge amount really that I owe to, to, to my previous career. And, 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 and I guess, um, you know, what I'm now able to do and the type of person I am and how resilient I am or, or otherwise and, and, and how I'm able to, 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 I guess, cope with the stresses and strains of a, of, of a new industry. Yeah, no, it really sounds like it set you up and, and what a thing to go to. And like you say, we're all talking about, oh, yeah, the, when you captain England, yeah, you became a club legend here, but it's all the work that goes in behind the scenes. And to, to maintain a career for so long as well, it, you know, it must be physical and, and mental battles each year for you, you know. So like you say, lessons learned and, uh, and yeah, quite an experience to look back on. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, to be fair, though, I mean, you know, the, the, I guess the, the, the attrition of, of my last career was what it wasn't each year. It was every day, right? It, you know, you get up early, you eat right, you sleep right, you um, turn up to training, you've got to bring you know, the degree of intensity that's required for top-level sport. The difference between winning and losing is tiny. It's 1%. It's not 20% mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, you know, and... Um, and, and, and when you kind of start to translate that into, I guess, what comes next, I mean, there's, there's, there's some huge adjustments to make. Um, not, not, I mean, not just in terms of the, the degree of intensity and how you maintain it, but also the culture. And if I'm honest, the, the toughest um, aspect for me when coming out of sport in, 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 into the real world, as I call it now, um, was, was, the, was the difference in culture. You know, you, you, go and you kind of go from working with, um, a defined group of people who you know uh, and get to love, if I'm honest with you. It's an incredibly stressful environment. It brings people together very, very tightly. You've got some fantastic friends who are all largely from the same background, largely from, um, or certainly from the, of the same mindset, but all pretty much aligned on trying to achieve um, you know, a single and defined goal into you know, into an industry or into a world, which isn't like that, right? It really isn't. And it, full of a whole myriad of people who are motivated in different ways. And I guess the translation of value and, and, and values and culture and people's motivation was the, was the biggest and toughest adjustment I had to make. I think you know, I was never really afraid of doing the hard work, doing the graft, learning a new skill, finding a way to succeed. Um, but culturally, I found the adjustment incredibly difficult. And when you when you were kind of rising through the ranks, did you did you have a goal in mind uh, in rugby? You know, when you first started out from youth level through to the first club, you know, was the dream always always to captain England? And you know, did you always have that within your sights? And how did that evolve? I guess over the throughout your career. 
it's an interesting question. I'll probably answer that in, in, in the context of, of the whole journey, really. I suppose, you know, I was really, really lucky, um, I guess, from a very young age in, in that, you know, I, I was very clear about what I wanted to achieve. I wanted to play for England um, at rugby and kind of would do whatever it took to, to get there. But it was a genuine, um, I guess, reason and a love and a, and a, and a, and a, and a passion that I had. Um, and um, so for, you know, the best part of, I don't know, 17 years, I guess, where I played professionally, but longer than that, when you consider how long I played rugby for, I had um, a very strong reason to get out of bed every morning. Um, you know, and I, I guess retrospectively now, I do fair amount of reading and, you know, kind of try and, try and understand the reasons and the rationale for how and why people do things and get where they get, both as an individual and as, and as organizations. And, you know, I, I, and Simon Sinek really kind of defines it best for me. You know, for, for, for the first 30 odd years of my life, 34 years of my life, I had a very strong why. I had a very yeah. strong reason to do it. And, um, uh, and, and, and that really meant I was an incredibly lucky person. You know, and as I kind of like now translate that into, 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 into my job today and, and the industry, I think, you know, trying to determine or trying to bring a group of people together and get them bound to a, to, to a strong reason to do something for me is undoubtedly the single biggest factor in success. You know, if you can bring a group of people, align them around one strong reason to get out of bed in the morning, then they'll bring their best selves to work. And, and, and you know, and I guess, you know, that was that, that, that on reflection, looking back and understanding, you know, why I got out of bed at six in the morning, went down the running track every morning, because most normal people would not consider that, you know, a, a <laughs> normal thing to do. You've got to have a strong reason to do it. And, and, yeah. and, and, and when you translate that into the jobs we all do today, you know, the luckiest people are the people that have a strong reason to do it, because work doesn't feel like work then, does it? No, not at all. But how did you... How did you know at that age? Like, how did you have the maturity to know that, okay, I'm in a group of, you know, 1% or less than 1% that have got to the level where they might then step up to do this as a professional career? How did you know that, okay, if I get up at six, if I have this mindset, if I, if I work as part of a team, if I have this nutrition, you know, did you, what, what separates the people that make it from, from that last handful that go to, to a professional level than the ones that don't? So it's funny, right? And again, it's like we, we always go back to the sporting analogy, which I understand because that's what I did. But um, you, I, I guess in many respects, I, I, I think there's a, a fairly set formula, if I'm honest with you, around what makes a world-class or an elite performance individual, whether it be sport, work, music, it doesn't matter what the, what the discipline is. Um, and I think, you know, you, and inevitably, in most instances, it tends to be the environment which that individual is in that that, 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 that creates that, that soup, as it were, to make that individual great. So, you know, I had a lot of things in place. I had, you know, fantastic family life. I had really supportive parents. You know, it, it, I had a natural reason and want and desire to do it. For whatever reason, those things develop over time. And, you know, I had great coaches that encouraged me the right way at the right time. Um, and, and then as I kind of transitioned through it, you know, I guess, you know, my value set was always strong. I found the right environments to learn. I applied the right processes. And then the outcome will always be as good as the outcome, you know, will be. You know, and it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, now I'm in a, <laughs> quite here, some people heard this, they'd probably spit their coffee out. We're in an industry that is so focused on outcome. 
Uh, and yeah, I firmly believe we need to be focused on values and processes. And if we get the values and the behaviors and the processes right, the outcome is always going to be as optimal as the outcome can be. You know, you, you don't start a game of rugby or a game of football saying, I'm going to win 20 nil today. You start by saying, right, have I got the right people? Have we got the right reasons for doing it? Are they doing the right things, behaving the right way? Are our processes right? Our lineouts, our scrums, whatever it might be, and have we nailed them? And is that, is that skill embedded within the group? And if all of those things are a yes, then that outcome is going to be as optimal as it can be. And yeah. um, invariably, if you do all those things better than the team you're playing against, then the, the outcome will be that you will win. Yeah. And yet, you, you translate that into a quarterly financial update in a, a bank or wherever it might be, and everything is about what's your commit, what's your sales figure, what's your, when really the concentration's got to be right back to, okay, what's our reason as an, as an institution? Do our people buy into it? Um, do we employ people with the right values? And do we measure and reward on those values? And then are we as a, as a leadership team um, affecting the right processes to ensure a positive outcome for those individuals? And if all of that's lined up, then invariably we'll be a successful company. And, and it's exactly the same, I guess, for me. It was so obvious in a sporting environment because we're measured every day, every week, uh, on TV in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and when we didn't get it right, we absolutely, you know, we had this instantaneous feedback loop that said, right, what have we got to address? We address our people, our values, our processes. And we inspected it all the time. And, and, it, and it's the one unique advantage that I guess sport has over, over most industries is that your feedback loop is instantaneous. And therefore your, your, your I guess your learning is, is that much quicker. Having said that, it's also a far more unforgiving industry. Yeah, like you say, <laughs> instant feedback, so you know about it. And it must have been quite a transition to go from, you know, playing for for club where, yeah, of course, there, there's coverage, but uh, you know, to the England setup where it is national press and and you know a much wider of coverage uh, globally. Um, so, you know, did that take some some adjusting to? It, it does because one, instantaneously you as an individual are outside of your comfort zone. So if you've not got the right, I guess, embedded values, disciplines, behaviors, skill set, it's exposed instantaneously. Mm. But it, um, so I think as an individual, it's a very, uh, and, and it's heavily inspected both in terms of um, people and peers around you, but also the public and, and the press and all the rest of it. So, so it's an incredibly stressful environment, and that materially changes the way some people behave. Would you would you read would you read the the coverage? I mean, nowadays obviously it's it's even more instantaneous with with social media. But you know, I've always always wondered. I'm sure many people do. You know, do athletes read the the, the reports and, and the the opinion pieces? Do you know what? You, you're not a human being if you don't pick yeah. up on some of the sentiment and, uh, and, 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 and obviously be aware of it. I think the skill is in um, how do you maintain a good, positive, confident mindset when you're in that incredibly difficult situation. And in some instances, after very big and public failures, you know, it's like, you know, if I will learn one thing that I carry with me now is that, you know, it's the importance of failing. You, you learn more when you fail than you ever do when you win. Um, you know, I look at the times we've worked when I lost big games or got relegated from leagues or 
you know, failed in my role as a leader or whatever it might be. It's in those instances in time that, that you, that if you have the right mindset to it, I mean, you embrace that failure and you become introspective rather than looking to blame others, that you, that you move forward in the, in, as an individual and, and that you grow as an individual and that you are then more capable of dealing with that situation the next time it presents itself. Um, you know, it's it, it, in all the failures, you know, the, <laughs> Yeah. I guess the beauty of, of playing sport at the highest level where, you know, the differences are so so fine and um and many decisions are subjective in terms of whether you're good enough or otherwise. Um that if you approach those if you approach those those scenarios with a, you know, look if I fail, I've just got to learn from it, then then invariably you get a second chance because you get better. Um you know, the the ones that fall away and drop off tend to be the people that, that, that don't look at themselves introspectively and you know, look, I, I guess that, that was one of the critical things about moving into, or I guess all these things fed into to the decision of the job I first took out, out of, um, out, out of rugby and in finance. You know, it, it's like I, I kind of looked and said, right, what's important? You know, if I, if I take it as a given that I've got a strong reason to do this, and for me, it's always been my family, if I'm honest with you. you know, I've got two young children and a, a wife I love a great deal. Um, very lucky. And, um, for them, they were always my motivation. So I, I, if I take it, you know, I guess that, that I've got a strong why, then for me, it was about finding the right environment to fill in the rest of those blanks. Um, you know, uh, and that meant that I had to find an environment where I could learn and fail, be allowed to fail, um, have a feedback loop that told me when I was failing quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so when I came out of, of rugby into, in, into banking as it was, yeah, you know, the decision I made was was very much around what's the best possible environment for the long term in terms of developing me as an individual, so that I guess I can achieve my why, which was looking after my family. It's interesting you, you bring up your your family and, and how much how important was is that kind of rugby legacy to you now? Given once you became England captain, you know you you will go through life always being England captain, um, and you know. You're a club legend at Worcester, and you're going to be famed for this rugby career. Do you, how important is, is is that legacy to you um, when when you look back now? Well, honestly, it really isn't. It really isn't. I, I, it fills a fraction of of my time, really. You know, yeah. one thing I know from sport, is, you know, and, and the trans, and I guess the transient nature of it is that you're very quickly forgotten, very quickly forgotten, and that's fine, by the way. Um, and um, yeah, I guess in your own mind, you might like to think that you leave a legacy and all that sort of jazz. But reality is, you, you, you don't leave a massive imprint on the world. You, you just don't. Um, I guess the, the only, for me, the, the only legacy I'll ever leave, it was a really good friend of mine, he recently died actually, um, who, who kind of taught me this, if I'm honest. And he was a tremendously successful person. Um, but he, said, he actually said to me, he said, the only legacy you ever leave are your family, your children. and um, you know, and, and, and spending time and investing in them and making sure that they're, you know, well-adjusted, moral, moral capable children who, uh, for the most part, can, can have a positive experience in life is the best possible legacy you can leave. And, and I could not agree more with him. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where I spend my time, my energy, and my effort now. Y- yeah, I've got my own personal goals. Of course I do. Um, you know, in terms of what I want to achieve in, in this career and what I achieved in my last career, but but it's all really um, geared around looking after the people I love. 
appreciate the the honesty and then candor with uh, how you're answering these these questions it's uh, it's a real insight into kind of your mentality and you know a mentality of a, a former professional athlete as well so uh, look, this is this is yeah fascinating to hear um, and I, I just want to step back one bit here because you obviously went from you talked about your uh, early career where I guess as you break through to, to club level and, and you know you had uh, you were signed um, by another a club after your initial team um, you went from being an individual to being a captain you've talked to a lot about kind of the leadership qualities and, and what you've transitioned from one career to the next but what, what was it like going from like I say uh, you know thinking about okay how do I move forward in my career to then, you know, you're responsible for, for your team and the players on the pitch. And you mentioned you need everyone to be in on that team and to have the same kind of mentality and attitude. Uh, so, yeah, first of all, what was it like with the transition? And secondly, how did you handle situations where you didn't have everyone on, on the same page? So, you know what, it's, it's such a great question. It's such a hard one to answer. Um, so, I guess, you know, look, I think if you're a moderately intelligent driven individual, I guess the natural, I guess, desire is to want to move through your career and progress. And, and yeah, being an individual contributor was important. And in the early days, that's very much where your focus is. And then as you become more and more comfortable, comfortable with that and your contribution is more consistent, I guess that for me, the next natural, um, I guess, growth pattern was, was captaining um, some of the professional sides I played for. And I did it as a, as a child um, and as a, as a schoolboy growing up. I captained the side that I was that I was involved in, so I had some experience going into it. But now you're right; it's very very different, um, I guess, going into a into a professional environment and the responsibility of being a captain. Um, uh, I guess entails, and I, I can't tell you how much I learned through that experience. I'm so grateful for having had the opportunity to lead within that environment. Um, you know, because I think, you know, and if I look back on the type of leader I was when I first was given the responsibility to the type of leader I, I, I hope I am now, um, I would say they are so immeasurably different. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of start out your, your journey as a captain and it's, and it's kind of basic, right? You know, and everyone, if anyone says, well, what does a leader mean? I think if you ask, a thousand people, then probably nine hundred will say, "Well, it's someone who works hard and leads by example, and mm. you know, um, is authoritative and uh, and speaks well and communicates well, and, and all of that." Is kind of correct, uh, if I'm honest with you. Um, then at the same time, um, as I kind of worked through and made my mistakes, um, I started to understand the importance of what a really true, great, and I mean sophisticated leader is. Mm. And it's someone that takes time to understand the people that they work with, that cares for them, that is naturally motivated in an altruistic manner, um, that is self-confident and secure enough to put other people first and to promote the strength of them, that happily um, gives responsibility and supports and helps people grow around them and takes a long-term view to, to, to how they inspire a, a healthy culture. And um you know, I, I learned more from the mistakes I made and the games we lost and the years we weren't successful mm. um, because I think eventually, not at the start, I'll be honest with you, not at the start, but eventually I started to look at, um, I guess, the culture and the results that we were getting and how my actions contributed otherwise to that. And you know, in particular, you know, I think the year that we got relegated with Worcester, you know, I was a massive part of why we got relegated. And 
my mind, looking back. It wasn't because my intentions were wrong. They weren't. My intentions were absolutely sound. But that, you know, often having good intentions doesn't, doesn't, doesn't absolve you of responsibility. Um, you know, and, and, and I learned the importance of understanding different individuals and different motivations and different reasons for doing it and making sure that I could then involve those in the, in the broader culture and the importance of ensuring that other people, um, you know, were kind of front and center and, and, and how that got the best out of other people and how in time, um, you know, you, you just created a far, far healthier culture and, but also understanding that, you know, one, one approach will work brilliantly with one group of individuals, but it'll be awful with another. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and, and the ability to adapt that. And, and I think, honestly, that the best leaders that I've worked with and for, um, you know, none of them are particularly young. They, they've all needed time to hone that skill, you know, and, yeah. and I don't think there's any such thing as a natural leader. There are, there is, you know, I think it was really driven home, actually, when I, in my first job when I was working with Deutsche Bank, and I mm. worked with a chap called Paul Anderson. And, uh, so I'd kind of gone through my rugby career and I'd made my mistakes. And, and I guess I, to be fair, I reckon I was probably a fairly proficient leader at that point in time because I'd done a lot of it. Um, uh, I, uh, and I chose Paul to work. I didn't choose Deutsche Bank. I chose Paul, uh, if I'm honest with you, because he was incredibly bright, incredibly humble, um, very senior figure at the time within the transaction bank at Deutsche. Um, but, um, but, Paul kind of created the environment that I needed. Um, and he was a senior MD, sat out on the floor, wouldn't sit in an office, sat opposite me, and for three years answered every question I threw at him. Mm. Um, but I saw through Paul's actions an incredibly different style of leader, a leader that stood at the back all the time and pushed everybody else in front of him um, when, it was, when, it, when it was right to do so and that they would be, um, I, I guess, promoted positively. And stood at the front when times were hard and he needed to shield and protect people. And, mm. um, it was a, it was, it was a fantastic lesson in many respects. You know, I think I understood it in part. Um, but he was a quiet leader. He, he wasn't a great orator. He wasn't a massive figure. He didn't light up a room when he walked in it. Um, but, uh, but a tremendous leader nonetheless, you know, one of the best I've ever worked for. So do you, when you talk about kind of leadership evolves, um, over time, I mean, how do you think, do you think your answers, if we were having this interview just after you retired, um, do you feel like you'd have the same kind of perspective uh, on your career and same kind of, uh, of outlook and, uh, I guess, humbleness as, as, as you have now? I've definitely evolved. Right? I mean, again, I guess in my head, um, if I thought I hadn't evolved, evolved, then I wouldn't have been going about this in a way that I hope I, I would. You know, so I, I absolutely have evolved. Um, but... Um, I think it, I think I would have answered it similarly, but mm. not but, but not to the same extent. And I really wouldn't have appreciated the importance of of people being different because I just wasn't equipped to understand that. You know, I, I've come from an environment where yeah, we came from different cultural backgrounds. Don't get me wrong, we had Fijians, South Africans, Samoans, Tongans, Australians, you know, French people, English people, Welsh people, Scottish people. We had a huge geographic diversification. Um, but, but in all honesty, you know, we were all between 18 and 35, all male, uh, and all rugby players. And so, so there was, so, so there was a massive lack of 
um, diversification in some in some respects as well. So, um, you know, and, and, and then you kind of move into to, to the city of London, which is an incredibly diverse. You know, London in itself is incredibly diverse, and and over time, and it takes time, you start to understand that actually the, the, the diversification of opinion and diversification of uh, of action is, is unbelievably valuable, and it actually takes a lot of energy effort to control your subconscious biases to start to pick out the best in that diverse in, in that diversity. I can't stress enough how much I have learned from people that are different from me. Paul mm. as a leader was massively different from me. Um, you know, I was I, I would say I was the type of leader that I well less not 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 universally, but certainly more of the type of leader that would be trying to lead by example and inspire and less of the type of leader that, that, that understood the importance of promoting other people within their environment and being quiet and knowing when to keep quiet. And it was Paul being different from me was 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 super important. And I've learned a lot from Paul. But I can kind of level that at so many people that I work with now um, and have worked with over the years. And um since I've since I've got out of rugby and um yeah, it, 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 I enjoy it now. Uh, at the start, it was hard because it, it, because it is different, and yeah. people are quite naturally resistant to to people that don't think, act, look the same as you, right? It's just how mm-hmm. we are, and I think now I love it, I enjoy it, and I really I, 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 I treasure it. But I, I, it took a period of time for me to to, to, to really, uh, I guess, um, embrace it. There's, there's some amazing life lessons we can take from this. I feel like you've been incredibly kind of uh, humble about your career and I'd really love to set you up here <laughs> to, to talk oh. about, you know, the best moment. And uh, yeah, does, does, I'm sure it was a career, like you said, filled with the, the highs and lows. But uh, may I ask kind of what was the, uh, the the standout moment if you had to pick one? And you do have to pick one because I'm asking you to. <laughs> I, will, I will and it probably won't be what, what, what you think. I, I think everybody kind of expects one of the first thing we can it was the Cutney one. It actually wasn't, um, although they were great, and I absolutely loved playing for England. And I remember um, when I first got picked for England, and I can remember what I felt like. It, it was incredible. Um, but but the, the, the greatest achievement, if I'm honest, was my first season at Worcester. Um, I'm staying up. Uh, we beat Northampton in the last game. A chap called Drew Hickey, who um, scored under six, who effectively saved us. We were we were behind at the time. We had to win the game to stay up, um, and we did a move. I forget what it's called now, but it's a move, it's a move that never worked and was grotesquely overcomplicated, which we call that a desperation. And it went under the six, and we and we stayed up. Um, and and uh, but it wasn't that moment that was the greatest bit. That was kind of about the culmination of um, um, the most incredible effort from um, an incredible group of people. You know, I went to Worcester. Um, we were. Uh, newly promoted, I left Harlequin uh, to go and play for Worcester. Uh, kind of bought into the vision of, you know, kind of like making, you know, Worcester a rugby city. And I, I liked the owner at the time, who's still around, Jesse Duckworth, amazing man. Um, and I kind of bought into this vision that we would turn Worcester into a bath or a Leicester uh, and, and turn it into a rugby city. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm up for that. So I went up there and very quickly they asked me to catch on the side. And, you know, it became very apparent very quickly when I was I could kick the ball further and probably pass it further than anybody else in the team that we were the most talented team around, <laughs> given I wasn't a fly half. Um, 
But um, over the course of that year, we, we, we found a way to come together culturally and align. Um, and, um, you know, I think we, we were on a playing budget of oh, something ridiculous. Uh, I, I would imagine it was probably being um, around 20, 25% of, of most of the other teams in that league in terms of their playing budget. Mm. Uh, and we, we managed to stay up. Um, but, you know, in the process of doing so, made some incredible friends. And, and learned an incredible amount about myself as an individual and, you know, and kind of what it meant to be part of, uh, of something bigger, that it meant to be part of a team. And um, that is probably the one memory that I will, will, will take with me forever. And I, I've got mates from that year and, you know, who are my best friends and will be my best friends for life. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, uh, in, a, in a career of highlights that, uh, that that sounds like quite a memory, you know. Uh, pulling pulling something out of the bag, I guess that that feels like. Uh... Honestly, we lost fifty in our first game to Newcastle, and you can kind of see, and and and, and the world rose up, um, and it was, it was it was it was a tremendous lesson, and you know, and we 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 had a um, fantastic coach at the time, called John Bray, who's dead now, died on a rowing machine, um, who um, uh, just just a again just a different type of leader, very quite a quiet man, very technical. Uh, incredibly funny when he wanted to be, um, but brutally honest. Mm. I mean, to the point where you're like, seriously, have some empathy. Just. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but it was amazing because behind that honesty, we could pull together as a group of individuals. And I got an awful lot of credit. And it's really what got me, uh, I guess, the role of England captain uh, the following year was the way we brought that team together. You know, but it yeah. really was, it, it, it was, it was as much John's honesty and, and, and his kind of like his candid behavior that we, that we could all pull together behind and um yeah it was incredible yeah. Here. and um yeah I, I honestly I'm way way bigger <laughs> i guess it's like the best anecdote i can give you is like you know when you get your first cap thing that's great right but it's an individual thing it's a little bit like telling a joke in a bathroom on your own unless you've got someone <laughs> to laugh at your joke it's not worth having a good joke is it um yeah. you, you need to share these experiences with people to really to, 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 to fully enjoy them to the extent to which you know you, you captured yeah, amazing. And I guess this is a lot about sport, isn't it? I guess the England, the, you know, getting called up to England, you get the call, you know you're going, the build-up to the game, walking out of Twickenham, it's, it's a longer process, but in, in the case you're talking about, it was an instant moment, you know, snap of the fingers and, and that's it. You've, you've, you've achieved something. You can, ball goes one way, you don't, and ball goes the way for you. Well, I guess it, it's, it's, most, it's most like, you know, that, 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 that the whole year was incredible, but the stakes were massive. Right? I mean, you yeah. get relegated. Guys lose their houses. They lose their jobs. They have to relocate. A kid come out of school. It's like the, the presses and the stresses associated with professional sport are yeah. absolutely huge. The reality of professional sport is huge. The, 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 the bit that you see in the media is, you know, Liverpool win the Champions League or Liverpool win the Premiership, and all of a sudden, that's fantastic. But you, you don't look at the you don't look at the day-to-day -day reality for some of the individuals concerned who are the bottom end of the league. And, you know, what, what, what does it mean if, if we'd have gone down that year? Well, we'd have offloaded a third of the squad. I mean, it happened to Quinns. Quinns went down that year. I left Quinns, went to Worcester. Mm -hmm. Quinns got relegated. We stayed up. And uh, Quinns offloaded, you know, I don't know, a third of the squad. And people had to go find different homes. And, you know, the, the, it was a real-life impact to, to, to the people concerned. And, and, and I think it... it, it it's that, right? It's that. Um, I, yeah. I guess it's, it's those friendships and those bonds that are formed under that type of adversity that um, are some of the biggest, you know, gifts I've got, right, to carry forward. 
uh, you, you certainly seem Pat like someone who really sees the, the bigger picture with everything. That's for sure. Yeah, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess to me, like, I'm not. It's not. I, I'm only kind of halfway through the journey. Like, I'm forty. Maybe forty-three. I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? You get Let me check, 40, I'll check it. We can exactly. It really would. Anyway, between forty and sixty, then. Um, but but um, you know, so I've got a long way to go. But, you know, there's so much more that, you, that I want to achieve and get done and all that sort of jazz. You know, so I, you know, it's, it's absolutely nice to look back on it. But you know, my dad says it to me quite often. He lives at the bottom of my garden now. Um, and uh, he says, you know, sometimes you've just got a smell of roses. You've just got to stop and, and, and I can take stock. And having a conversation like this sometimes allows you to do that. But um, I guess my nature is not to do that. My nature is to press on and think of what tomorrow brings, really. Well, uh, it's, uh, it's a real insight into to, to your mindset and it's a fantastic one. I think we've all, all take lessons from. So, look, Pat, I, I, I feel like I can ask you questions all day. <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to... Uh, actually, you can't because I've got two o'clock. <laughs> in that case, I'm going to I'm gonna fire some really quick ones uh, at you to end because we, we ask three questions at the end of each episode that we're asking every guest. So I'll, I'll quickly fire them at you. And I think one of them was something you, you answered in some ways earlier. But firstly, who from the financial services industry has inspired you? Oh, that, that would be Paul Anderson. I think that's, that's, that's probably, uh, yeah, I hope a lot. Um, and yeah, you went into a great detail about, about him earlier, which was um, a great answer to that question. So secondly, uh, where is inspiration from outside of your professional life come from? That's a, that's a tough question because I, I think it's, it's, it's in many areas. Um, look, I'm, I'm a pretty lucky person as much. I've got a great set of parents. I think, you know, the, you know, the time, energy and effort that my, that my mum and dad put into me um, as, a, as a young man. And, well, my, my mother would argue she still does. Um, you know, uh, absolutely, I think, gave me the right value set. So it's very, very hard to look past my parents, if I'm honest. And what's the biggest life lesson you've learned that you would like to pass on to others? Outside of the, the all the tens you've just given us for the last fifty minutes, well, I'd, I'd say there's probably two. One is to embrace failure and to see it for what it is, which is part and parcel of the learning um, process. And and secondly, to, to to never stop learning. They're kind of connected. Um, you know, um, physiologically, you can learn. Um, you're an old man um, or woman, um, and nine ten two. Well, Pat, conscious of your two o'clock, um, yeah, I want to thank you for for all your like really honest insights into this. Can tell you're a very um, humble but successful man who's who's driven by kind of goals and family. And uh, I think whatever career you'd have gone into after rugby, you would have made uh, just a, just as much of success as you have done in in financial services. So, Pat, thanks again for being on the podcast, and uh, yeah, I hope to catch up again soon. No, it's, a, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for listening today and thanks again to our sponsors Smartstream who have supported us through this series along with their clients and even as I've discovered myself frontline workers through donations they've made during this period. If you like what you've heard today make sure you subscribe and keep an eye out each week for new episodes or listen in on globalcustodian.com. Thanks again.